Hello, trauma thrivers. Welcome, welcome. Thursday night. Lovely to see you. Hello, we've everybody. got some familiar faces and we've got some new faces. So delighted to introduce a dear friend of mine and colleague, much trusted and respected colleague, Robin Lefevre to the group. And Mel, I think we're excited about this one, aren't we, and seeing Robin? Yeah, really looking forward to this. Really just, it's going to be a great discussion. So, yeah. Thank, you. thank you so much for inviting me. Pleasure, pleasure. And it's a really good topic, Robin, and who better to speak about it than you, really? Um, we're going to talk about the pros and cons, the benefits of residential treatment and rehab and hope that some of you are watching live and you can ask some questions or get involved at the end. But before we start, would you, Robin, just mind saying a little bit about your background and who you are? Um, sure, yeah. So, so well, those very, that are watching, very briefly. You know, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, so very briefly. Um, thank you both again, you know, because I'm a big fan of, of you guys as well and everything you do. So it's lovely to be invited here today. Um, so I, I, I suppose I should say I have uh, something of a poacher turned gamekeeper in the sense that I've been through treatment, I was mentioning just before we went live uh, a few times, uh, both here and, and in the States. And so, you know, I guess I kind of have an understanding of it from both sides. Um, I also have a yeah, I think as many people do, a long family history of, of addiction and trauma. And um, and I think it's one of the questions we're going to come to. I think the way that treatment uh, has evolved, it has changed a hell of a lot through the years and, and thankfully, really. Uh, but at the same time, I suppose I shouldn't be, you know, too critical of what went before because it was it was that or nothing pretty much in the days yeah. that, that I went through. Um, so. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and and it, it got me here wherever I am. So uh, I'm still grateful for for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I suppose like my first, uh, just very quickly, I went through um, loads of schools and you know had all sorts of educational difficulties, uh, and then um, having dropped out because of drink and drugs, I went to work in the city, which is uh, out of the frying pan into the fire, really. Yeah, and, isn't um, it just crazy? <laughs> Yeah. And like I was already, I think my first treatment episode was in an adolescent unit um, in America. So I got in young. I was then like completely blown apart by that career. It was just such an unhealthy, yeah. you know, work to be doing anyway. And at the end of that, I, you know, and my sort of final treatment episode of many, um, I kind of wanted to do something you know different I didn't just want to I mean the first times I went through treatment I just wanted to sort of cope with the symptoms I wanted to you know say stop the drink and drugs for example and, and feel better but not really do any sort of like deeper work or make any significant changes and then I think that the, 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 the one of the sort of differences at the end was that I realized that kind of virtually everything in my life was was kind of quite unhealthy really and I'd lost a lot you know I felt like I was on some sort of mission but in reality I'd been robbed of you know my education and you know uh culture friends I mean just became you know I wanted to sort of really find out it's a cliche isn't it I wanted to find out who I was but you know yeah. and also get back all these things and have these experiences that other people had kind of had that I'd missed out on and then that was a blessing because I think you know going out and being kind of interested in the world and interested in you know sort of education and culture and, and, and all the rest of it I think that kind of lit a fire for me and you know and pretty quickly I got interested in psychology obviously being by that point in recovery so I went and studied psychology I mean mostly to be a student for three years to be honest I, don't know, I mean I was still such a hippie I, I didn't really want to take my final exam because I thought that was just a meaningless piece of paper whereas it was all about the experience man um, so, you know, but nonetheless, I did, I did, did uh, do my final exams in psychology and, and loved it really. And, and, and then came into the sort of field, my parents, um, you know, got quite well known for their um, involvement in having set up um, the rehab. So I'm sort of a second generation 
in in this field and I'm I'm looking at you know four four children so the odds are good for them being a third generation we've got our eyes on them you know we're marking them out um and uh and you know so and then I think I think I've been blessed really in working in this area because as I always say I like you know I'm working in a field I love with people I love for people I love you know it's just I, I couldn't be more blessed in that way. I mean, and, and also I feel like, although we've come a long way, I hope that we're still at the beginning of our learning. I mean, I, I feel like that's one of the really exciting things about this area, that there's there's so much better that we could do. There's so much more that we can learn. Yeah. Um, and it's a journey, I think, as, as therapists that we're kind of on together. You know, I mean, that was, I'm trying to think now, it must have been sort of like 32 years ago or something that last treatment episode and and yet you know I'm I've been back in therapy again recently with trying out somatic experiencing and I'm loving that um yeah. I'm doing I've done a course on it and I'm possibly going to sign up and do the the, the training Fantastic. um I've also been really into IFS I mean I come back to that several times mm. because I love it but you know it's, it's interesting how we as just well. such a richness of of yeah. approaches and ideas and ways of working and, and levels of working that that I just can't imagine ever being <laughs> you know ever ever being tired of it it's always inspiring it's always interesting and it's always it's nice to be able to be trying things for myself and then you know if I'm working with a client I can say you know listen I've been although we're maybe doing an EMDR session or something why don't you chat with Aaron I really like this somatic stuff and I've been trying it myself and there's some you know maybe we can top and tail the EMDR session with some somatic stuff you know I think yeah it's just such a rich area and uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited by it still. Yeah, it is massively exciting. And it's a bit like, I don't know whether you ever saw that ebook that I did, the free ebook on the 56 solutions to trauma and obviously somatic experiencing and IFS, which is internal family systems for anybody listening that doesn't know, is in there. But also what's in there, Robin, and, you know, you have got one of the the top and the best and your family have always had is residential treatment and rehabs. So, you know, which which are a, a really important part for a lot of people of their treatment experience. So I guess coming mm -hmm. back to your story a bit first, where I'm curious is what was it like? 30 years ago for you <laughs> going into adolescent treatment or America or that treatment experience and then maybe Mel your experience too I'm I mean I'm I'm sat here jealously listening to you both because unfortunately I I never got treatment um I mean I have had treatment for anybody that's listening that thinks <laughs> I never had treatment <laughs> I haven't just come off the street but I didn't actually have the experience of sadly being somewhere so I don't know whether we could bring people into what it was like for you both and then into kind of the present moment a bit with how how, how have we learned what what have we learned what was it like well I think there were there were good and bad bits I mean I think one of the things is that treatment in those days was very long I mean people would typically go in for sort of three months would be a short stint of treatment six months or you know a year was very common you see um, I you know, quite like that I I quite like that so the yeah. trauma clinician in me goes oh wonderful if you had somebody not for the 28 days but you had them for think how much work you could actually get done yeah I, I'm in two minds because are I think, you well yeah because I think I, I mean I, I I love that and as you know when I had the clinic at Withersday and I had it set up so that we had you know primary stage which was 28 days then secondary which would be the next three months and then yeah. sober living which was another sort of you know people could stay there for a year or two I think the maximum yeah, is two amazing years. so that was lovely and I definitely see the benefits of that but I think the downside of those very very long-term treatments is that it then presents a barrier to a lot of people to coming into treatment and, and what I want to do is to sort of encourage people to say listen give treatment a try you know go in and try something for a week or just try a different therapist you know don't don't feel that you're sort of stuck with one 
treatment center or one therapist you yeah. know around and try different people try different therapies become inquisitive about it and and I think it, you know if people become inspired that way if they if they have a good experience you know and I think one of the things that happened sort of 30 to 40 years ago is that a lot of treatment centers were very controlling so it was all about this idea of sort of breaking people down and then building them back up but you know that never that was never a good plan no. you know you've got severely traumatized people you know then coming into a traumatic treatment experience I mean I seriously yeah. think people needed you know treatment for some of the treatment to be honest that went on I mean that's the, the worst of it I mean there were there were there were, there were good experiences too but I mean I remember you know, I remember being in a, I'm just trying to not identify the clinic, but yeah. I remember, being, I don't think they're around anymore anyway, but I, I, I was um, in a group where people were sort of, you know, spitting on the floor and, you know, getting ready to say that they wanted to get back into old behaviour and shoot some kneecaps off. And it was like, yeah, we're really going to do some like sort of deep emotional work here in, in this kind of environment. And also you had to, showing my age, you had to part the sort of fog of smoke. Yeah. Um, so you know, I really kind of question how much, and also there was this sort of, there was a bit of a of a, of a cult like atmosphere around it in the sense that, you know, people had to learn the same mantras and 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 there's a bit of you know kind of commonality and bonding that happens about that, but there's also an awful lot of sort of deceit and lying, yeah, and you know people would sort of go through the clinics and, you know, be you know using all over the place, but if they didn't get caught then that was okay you know yeah. and, and 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 yeah they'd be sort of judges and, and and excuse and I think the way that women got treated in in treatment as well was very bad if there was ever a relationship in treatment you know kind of the woman would stereotypically automatically be blamed for having you know kind of driven the man off course or or even if it wasn't as badly gender biased as that there was still a sort of dynamic of looking to see who was the sort of guilty party who led yeah. the other person astray. Yeah. it's like no you know um so no I mean I wasn't yeah I, I do think you know yes if you if you can have that time and you, you can take the time but I think having sort of shorter treatment experiences and having more of them means that people ultimately come into come into recovery at a much earlier stage if you right. said to somebody you can't come into treatment unless you go in for six months yeah. people will wait until they need to go into treatment for six months whereas if you can say look here's an experience that you can just try if you're I mean I love that I that that, that that's a lady I saw speak who read a book called Sober Curious and it's like yeah you know be 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 treatment curious be, yes. be therapy curious just try yeah. it out and then I think you know the most exciting part of this work is seeing how early we can help people the mm. earliest stages we can get I'm people saying, in yeah i'm imagining mel you 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 were uh, you know quite a bit later than me going into treatment so hopefully none of those yeah, no, my um, my treatment experiences were sort of six, seven years ago. Um, so yeah, sort of quite yeah. recent, really, um, in the grand scheme of things. And um, I mean, I've got to say, Robin, hearing you talk about your experience 30 years ago, it wasn't that different. Um <laughs> and I, no, it, it wasn't it wasn't hugely different. I think that there I think that with anything, with any kind of inpatient treatment, there is always, as we were discussing before, that there are pros and cons to it. Mm. And for me, I needed to be removed from society. I could not stop drinking and using, left out in society, around the people that I was around, doing the things that I was doing. And the, the truth of it is that treatment, even though I didn't stay clean, when I left, I still believe that the times that I went in saved my life at that point mm -hmm. um, because yeah. I, I was I was going down a down a dark path very, very fast. Mm -hmm. um, and the interventions that I had were at quite a late stage in my recovery. Um, in, sorry, in my yeah. in my using. Um, but I think that it is about. I think what you said is really interesting about being treatment curious because all treatment centers are different. And I had a different experience at everyone I went to. I yeah. say everyone that makes it sound like I went to millions. I didn't, I went to, <laughs> to 
um, but I have to say that the 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 bit that I found tricky, and I mentioned this before, was always the reintegration when I left treatment and then the reintegration back into kind of real life, because you are in a bubble when you're in inpatient treatment um, and you do make very close friends and, and form these very strong bonds with people. And you're kind of on a bit of a, I think you get on a, a bit of a pink cloud in some ways when, when you're in treatment because you are so protected. Um, so for me, my most successful treatment was when I was in treatment for three months. And I went from primary treatment into a kind of secondary treatment where I had a little bit more autonomy, a little bit more freedom. And it was kind of like, stepping stones um and I think like I I would now use the word titration almost you know it's kind of like dripping little bits of real life back in to see how I coped um and there were times in secondary treatment where I was like I need to go back into primary like I can't do this um but um but yeah I mean there was still that element of it being a little bit controlling I I still don't think at that point the treatment centers that I were I was in were trauma informed enough um Mm -hmm. even though having said that I had the most amazing therapists who actually were pivotal in helping Mm -hmm. me to realize the link between my trauma and addiction and and got me on the trauma healing path so for that if if nothing else that absolutely was what saved my life um Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, some, some similarities, shall we say, in, in, in my experience. But what I was really interested to ask you, Robin, is when do you think it is the right time for somebody to go into treatment? Because I kind of feel there's this, there's always this sort of argument, I guess, that somebody has to be ready. I don't think that they, I don't think it, it needs to be that somebody needs to be ready. I think get them through the door as soon as possible, even if it sows a seed for them. Um, I think that that is, that is great. But, but there is this kind of argument of, well, there's no point in somebody going to treatment unless they are ready to go. Well, what does that mean? And, and what, what are your views on that? Well, I, I like the research of John F. Kelly. Uh, you can Google him at um, uh, Harvard Medical. And he, he did a lovely study where he looked at how long it takes from the first point when people think they might have a problem until they seek the first sort of help, which is on average about five years. And then he said that it then takes a further, oh God, I've got the, gonna get the, the figures slightly wrong here. So, but it's about another five years until from the first time people had a treatment episode until the time when they were successfully able to achieve a year's sobriety. And he prefaced that by saying, look, they had a long periods of sobriety in that time, but then they would lapse and it would take them, you know, a few more efforts to get to the point where they could get another year's sobriety. And then he said that it was a further, I think it was eight years until their risk of relapse was less than the risk of, uh, you know, a, a, a regular person developing an alcohol problem. So in other words, he felt that that was the point when they got back to normal. The point is that there's that long cycle. And I think one of the problems with clinics is that they try to sort of sell themselves on this idea that there's a definitive treatment episode that's going to be the yeah. treatment episode. Yeah. And I don't really believe in that. I think that that's why I like the idea that people can actually try and, and experience treatment. And then as they get a better and better experience, and that's why I feel that those experiences it's really important that the clinic isn't controlling i mean not just for the sort of trauma informed basis but also you want someone to have an inspiring interesting experience you know and there's a sense in which i'm going to jump off a little bit here but you know there's a dynamic that goes on from they talk about in transactional analysis this idea that we all have these ego states of a parent ego state, an adult ego state, and a child ego state. And of course, when we're ill and we're um, chaotic, we're a little bit in our child ego state. The problem is that if we're in either parent or child, whenever we're talking to the other people, we will sort of push them into that opposite state. So if somebody comes up to you and they're in a kind of authoritarian way, you're likely to say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, you're likely to have a childish response back to them. And the problem in a clinic is that if people are ill and they're um, maybe acting out a little bit sometimes, 
there can be a tendency for the clinic staff to want to go into that authoritarian parental ego state. And that's the mistake. That's the mistake. You, you, we have to come back every time as an adult and treat people constantly as an adult. I mean, you know, that even if somebody, you feel somebody isn't, you know, 100% committed, the fact is they're voting with their feet. It's really tough. I remember all of those treatment experiences were really tough. If you're going to get up in the morning, having put away everything that you used to cope with, and you're going to go in and you're going to try and deal with some of these really difficult emotions. I mean, I can't think I've ever done anything more difficult in my life. And so, you know, I, I think it's really important to respect that people always have a choice. And that's why I reflect back on those clinics from sort of 30, 40 years ago. And I think that whole thing about the control was an illusion. Yeah. You know, people actually just did what they wanted anyway, which was either to go forward into recovery or to, or to mess around a bit. Yeah. And I think rather than pretending, I mean, if controlling really worked, the jails would be drug free, wouldn't they? Yeah. So let's just give up on that idea and instead focus on how do we inspire people? Because even at my most belligerent and difficult, I know there was always inside a part of me that was hurt and frightened. And, yeah. um, you know, I was yeah, talking with a, a colleague of mine earlier who was doing some sort of inner child work and um, yeah, he was saying that you know a client had been quite kind of like uh yeah he felt that there was a great deal of sort of hostility you know, overtly and covertly uh at the beginning of this session and then halfway through you know the, the client just had this mass breakthrough and was you yeah. know in, in floods for the rest of the session and that's yeah. i think the thing we have to have in our minds the whole time if you're seeing difficult behavior is that behind that there is also somebody who's really vulnerable who actually really wants help no matter how difficult they're being at that, at that often, particular moment and mm -hmm. often the more difficult they're being the more help they need i mean that that's yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah, I mean. yeah absolutely yeah 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 i know it's funny you get into sort of like a dynamic in the families as well where we're told that we should be you know really laying down the law and it's like well you've been laying down the law for like 25 years how's that how's that been going yeah. for you yeah exactly exactly uh, that brings us on to another point that i think sorry if i could just divert for it, i think there's another big miss that we have in our field is not working systemically i mean you know not working with the whole family and that you know everybody says they does do but they really don't and then when they do it feels like it's really just quite patronizing or people are being told that they need to stop enabling and let go and really unhelpful stuff yeah. Actually, we need to heal the whole family system. The whole family are are struggling. They all have their own, you know, trauma. And very commonly, you know, when we talk about trauma, there are multi generations of trauma. Yeah. You know, we, you know, I think people like, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I've forgotten her name for a second now, but there's a uh, uh, somebody who's been championing this for absolute, you know, decades and decades. Judith. Um, Judith. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah yeah um yeah. you know and yeah. her work i think is amazing you know yeah. doing doing sort of you know genograms with clients and asking them to look at the kind of values in the family because no matter how chaotic our families have been if you look back there are also certain certain values and certain strengths that have come from the survival of of generations of traumatic experiences yeah, um, yeah. and I, I think we, we want to be healing that and we want to be connecting that with families whereas i so often see clinics almost facilitating a breakup a breakup in the families and uh, i think it's really wrong so it's that's really something i really love, want to work isn't with. it they the advocacy of tough love is is what i think oh it's disaster it's isn't it and, and, it's so and, wrong. and it, it literally kind of makes me go like that when i hear that, yeah, that phrase, tough love i'm kind totally. of like you can't it, it almost doesn't you can't have tough and love in the same no. in the same sentence <laughs> uh, i just want to go back lou there was something you said um before about being jealous of us having had that inpatient treatment and i'm wondering i don't think this is a question i've ever asked you before um what do you think would have been different for you had you have had the opportunity of inpatient treatment well i suppose if I'd have had inpatient treatment, I would have had it at 24 years of age when I went into a Horton psychiatric 
clinic and was sectioned. And from the ages of 24, pretty much until I, I worked at the Priory, uh, which was, I don't know, however many years later, quite a few, there was never any mention of the word trauma. So I never knew about trauma and I really didn't even know about addiction or anything like that. I was according to Horton, I just had psychosis. I'd had a psychotic break. So I think if I'd have had treatment somewhere good, like, you know, that would have mentioned, oh, have you looked at this intergenerational trauma? Do you know anything about family systems? Oh, your addiction maybe could be causal or caused by all of this untreated trauma. I think I probably have saved myself about 15 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'm sure there's lots of people listening out there that feel similarly or haven't been able to afford treatment mm -hmm. or haven't mm -hmm. been able to get there. And, you know, I'm also of the belief that we get there when we get there, at you the, know, at the, at the right time and the right speed for us. But when you were both talking too, for me, what really came up about the experiences and you know, having worked at the Priory for what, a decade and on the addiction treatment unit for eight years, I think what came up for me is in the old days, it was a bit tough. It was a bit if people, you know, don't come out of their rooms and they don't go to groups and what's the consequences. And yeah. actually now it makes me cringe a bit yeah. knowing what we know about safety. Yeah, and exactly. safety and relationships <clears throat> and about how to, you know, attune and connect to people and be there, whatever part of themselves they're in, whether they're in their, their own critical parent or their own adapted, angry, raging teenager, mm -hmm. you don't meet that with anything other than safety. Yeah. You know. Well, and also I think, you know, when you... I think about this a lot I think the safer you make the place yeah the safer the barrier space is the more likely those parts are also to come out I also think that's actually a sign of good work yeah that somebody can actually risk to to, to do that work so yeah. yeah I always say to clients and I wonder what you think about this too Robin is I'm I'm a great believer in inpatient and residential treatment because I know and I've seen with people over the last two and a half decades that if I can send somebody into somewhere like you and they do a month or they do three months or they do shorter or longer, even a week, in that condensed safe place, with other people and a community and doing seven or eight hours of work sometimes a day, mm. I can't do that as a one-to-one -one therapist in one hour a week. I just yeah. can't do that. So it's, it's really beneficial for a lot of people, I think, to have that on the front or the middle or two thirds of the way through to go into that sort of environment. No, I mean, it is an amazing, I mean, I think it is an amazing opportunity. I do spend a lot of time knocking rehab, <laughs> so I probably should fly the flag a bit. Um, but I do think, I mean, I also think it's great to be able to work in this way, because I think when I'm, you know, if I'm working with EMDR or something, I'll be saying to somebody, you know, as I said earlier, you know, listen, you should really do some SE work with Aaron. I mean, you know, have you tried that out or... You know, have you tried the equine assisted psychotherapy? Have you worked with the horses at all yet? And I and I and I love it that kind of after a session of EMDR, somebody can go and kind of decompress, and they can just they don't have to actually do therapy with the horses, but they can just go and be with the horses, and that's really healing. Yeah. And the fact that there is this sort of twenty four hour support. You know, we've got twenty four hour nursing, we've got twenty four hour waking staff. So, you know, and you've got the other peers there all the time as well. We've got therapists there until 10 o'clock each night so you know if you find that there's a particular moment because that's how it happens doesn't it that you know something yeah. just comes up and it's a, such yeah. a privilege I agree um, both as a, as a client but also as a therapist to have that whole team working at the same time and a whole patient group and therapy group of of, of therapists as well because they're all different characters and I, I really like that just as the client group are all different characters and we sort of make a 
you know, the oddest family ever, kind of collectively. But it's <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and and I think, I mean, treatment was so it it was very stabilizing for me. It was, and it was very very healing for me. And I I always say this that I I laughed and cried in equal measures when I was in treatment. And I think that both of those things were just as important because I had spent a lot of years not laughing or crying Mm, Um, and one of the things that the inpatient treatment gave me was that safe holding to be able to do both actually and to be able to be vulnerable in my wounded child parts but also to be vulnerable in my fun free parts Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was something that I never felt I had in the outside world so it's there are so many benefits to to inpatient treatment in in so many respects um but not everybody can afford it and I think that's that's this that's what saddens me really is is how I think years ago I remember when my brother was in treatment which was closer to the time you were Robin um and there was a lot more kind of funding available for treatment it was easier to to get people in so for people that can't afford that 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 it's not accessible it's not available to them for to go into inpatient treatment what would your guidance advice be for what people could do instead I mean firstly I would say that you know, it's it's not a necessity treatment at all. I really don't want people to think it is. I think it's a I think it's a blessing. I think it's a it's a leapfrog. It's a it has all these benefits, but it's not a necessity. And I don't want people to ever think that because I, I think it's kind of akin a little bit to the similarity between, let's say, sort of you know, self learning or open university versus going to a college. Yeah. You know, when you when you go to a college, you get something extra of being in an intense environment with lots of other people at the same time. And it's probably a sort of slightly faster accelerator process. But, you know, before I went to university, I was, you know, I was embarking on a self-learning process. I was going to, you know, for the first time in my life, <laughs> uh, but, you know. Uh, having having messed up my education but you know I loved that it was such an exciting time and I think I would encourage people to do the same things to try and think about well how does a treatment what does a treatment center provide how could I achieve those same things yeah you know at home how could I build a similar type of program at home what are the elements of it you know and I think you know there's a lot of kind of stuff that people don't realize around sort of self-care and stuff like that so for example you know, having having the sort of you know the, the, the massage and the beautician and the and the and the hairdresser and stuff. I remember one of the most significant interventions they made with me when I was in one of my treatment episodes was to make me go to um, the local town and buy some clothes because I'd come in just like dressed like a, like a hippie and a tramp cross between the two, and I was just like I was wearing how I felt, you know, and and I carried on kind of living in that. And I think, you know, at the time when we're really low, we tend to want to kind of push ourselves and punish ourselves and think only about what we what we must do. And I think the self-care stuff and the nurturing is almost more important than yeah. that, than that kind of, sort of driven stuff. So I think you can try to create it'd be, it'd be a slightly slower process, but it'll be very unique. And 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 I don't I don't want people to think in any way. And it's particularly sort of, you know, sad at the moment. We're going into a, you know, horrible yeah. economic time. It's even even less affordable for people. So, you know, um, I wish equally it was, it was, you know, more available on the NHS and through other sources. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think people can create a programme. And, and I, think, I think the thing is that people are, you know, that's something I always try to sort of affirm my clients about is that they are already, I mean, by the time they're even in front of any of us, I think they're already on a mission yeah. to bring themselves into recovery. And it's and it's almost a done deal. Now, it might happen slightly sooner or slightly later, and they might have some hiccups along the way. Yeah. But really, they're already, they're already long on that path by the time they see us. Yeah. That's why I refer back to that John Kelly study, you know, really actually there is this long path that we don't realize it's not 
clinics that are making these amazing interventions that are suddenly curing people it's people are coming to clinics on a path that they're already on yeah. and that clinic is hopefully accelerating and facilitating what they're already doing yeah beautifully put, beautifully put is there a way in your mind for the future of both addiction and trauma treatment that will facilitate or help to facilitate more people's journeys and let's say in in any way shape or form so even you know not in an affordable form and then maybe we'll go on to the affordable mm -hmm. form later but I guess what I'm asking is how do you see it working now what's the future for and and when I say clinic yeah. or treatment well, centers I I mean trauma and addiction treatment centers I think yeah. well I interestingly I think I think actually the future will be more social change I think that there will be socially based treatment I mean okay. I, I, I love the work of um you know sort of the various sort of cafes and and hubs recovery hubs that people go yeah. to but I think that that's the beginning I mean they're little oasises I think it can go much further I think you could actually work with people in their existing whole family and social system um I mean it's almost like you know we've we've been shy and ashamed of the problems that we've had but that is I mean it's changing and it's brilliantly changing I'm, yeah. I'm loving the representation that we have on you know in tv programs and stuff like that now and I think that's creating an awareness that would make it possible for people not necessarily to need to go away to yeah. clinics but actually you know I remember I was talking with you know um, the interventionist Brad Lamb and you know he was doing an intervention in New York and he basically had worked with everybody around the guy that he was working with um so literally you know the guy would go to the off license and the off license wouldn't serve him and you know he'd go and score I mean like back in the days when I was doing drugs I had I had a I had a dealer who actually went to my dad and said that they were worried about me I mean it's like it's, it's really <laughs> but you know even in the community of, of of other people using you know we can see when people are hurting and when people you know need help and you know this idea that actually somebody in their in their home community everywhere they went would be met by but not just like the just saying no thing it's also yeah. like actually dude why don't you come in and hang with us for the day why don't you come out with us for the day yeah. why don't you stay here and I think if you could get the whole community healing people that that would be that would be my vision for where this whole field will go in I hope you know as soon as possible but yeah but I think there'll still be a place for you know psychiatric services and residential services but, but hopefully for for more of the sort of acute shorter treatments and more will be possible in the in the community with better better support and better understanding yeah makes a lot of sense yeah i love that i think we've talked about like addiction and trauma but also you know other mental health issues and i think you know, one of the difficult, one of the beauties of the sort of self-help groups is that people go in and they have a, a, a community. But one of the difficulties is that people sometimes get sort of tied to a narrative that, you know, they've got so many years of clean time and so on and so forth. And you don't know what else is going on with them, you know, how desperate they've become, what, you know, depressive episodes they're having. And I think that's a difficulty that I see. And, you know, there was, I'm going to not remember the study properly now, but there was a study that was reported last year, just of the sheer number of people with addiction issues who then later on have a catastrophic, you know, mental health um, episode as well. I mean, and so I feel like, I mean, what we've tried to do is to try to support all of these issues at the same time. So people are learning in the therapy sessions with us about, you know, depression and, 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 and trauma and anxiety and uh, all the different forms of uh, compulsive behaviours. And to have that kind of understanding all in one place, um, I think it's really important, especially to deal to, to, to address sort of, well, yeah, not to get too tied to a narrative of, oh, you know, I've stopped taking one particular drug for, for 20 years. Well, so what, you know, I mean, not so what, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of course, that's a great yeah. achievement, but, you know, at the same time, if somebody's in, you know, absolute desperate, you know, states with their sort of depression and anxiety and other problems, 
it can be hard for them to talk about that. Yeah, well, I think, the, I think the, issue, the issue is that the, the problem that happens is that people put the drink and the drugs down and that's when they realise that they that all these other things are there because that's when the way that I describe it, that's when the trauma kind of actually appears is when it's not being medicated anymore. Yeah. The, when when yeah. we stop numbing and, and distracting with the you know the habits or the the drug the drink or the drugs or the processes that's when it all comes to light um Mm -hmm. and the amount of people that I see that have actually been clean and sober or free from their addictive processes for a number of years and end up having psychotic breaks or end Mm -hmm. up you know in in really severely dysregulated and traumatized states because Mm -hmm. they're not they're not numbing it anymore. It, yeah, it's there. Exactly. You, can't, you can't run from it. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, and there is sometimes some shame that is yeah. attached to admitting when you've been clean and sober for a while that you're not actually doing that great. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing I'm getting to really is that yeah. you know I understand the idea of kind of wanting to inspire other people that it's possible, and that's very valid. And mm-hmm. you know, just, just, just um. You know, deserves to, to be to be applauded for any time that people have got, but you know it's so important to also be able to acknowledge that other stuff that's going on. That you know, um, yeah. I mean, I had, a, I had a friend I used to go to meetings with who would, you know, forever be. You know, if people he he was about sort of he was ten years um, more clean time than me, and he would sort of like people would sort of get a little bit rah rah, and, and then he'd sort of go. Oh, I was playing golf yesterday and then I looked at the train line and I realized I could cut my way through there and I could throw myself in front of that next train. I mean, and he was, you know, quite actively depressive from time to time and would have horrible episodes. But I absolutely loved the fact that he had the courage to, you know, in spite of whatever it was, sort of 40 odd years of sobriety, to actually share that in a meeting. And I thought, yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that and letting people know that it's okay to also have all of those other struggles, no matter how much, you know, sobriety and clean time you've got. Yeah, yeah. It always seems to be one layer after another, after another. And I know that we've got slightly, maybe slightly different views. I know, I think we've got very similar views on lots of things or on the majority of things, but I always, for me, I think that we've got layers and layers and layers of what I call trauma. And maybe it's not actually trauma and maybe that's not a good word. Maybe it's more chronic stress or different parts or different belief systems. And I think they go over time. I don't Mm -hmm. think they go in our first five years or 10 years or even 15 20 years of sobriety I think we are always works in progress personally yeah yeah, yes I agree absolutely no it's funny I was doing some um I was doing the somatic work and I saw um you know Cosmo Cosmo Duff Gordon at the start to stop in London and um and he said Robin have you got have you got taller and I was like no actually I've been doing this um doing the somatic work and one of the things is I have to become aware because I do you know slouch and stuff and to actually sort of hold myself and yeah I think it is having an effect and I love the fact that you know whatever it is sort of 30 years or 30 plus years in there's still new stuff to explore and experience and gains to make and I think the other side is also true. I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's always a uh, a linear progress. I mean, I remember I had a a massive depressive episode like about sort of 15 years into sobriety, and uh, yeah. you know that nearly that nearly carried me off. So you know, and I think yeah. So I think it sort of it ebbs and flows. And I think you know if somebody has you know uh, has had a mental health problem, they are more vulnerable. And that's why I'm a bit kind of like jaded about the sort of the rah-rah message of everything's always sort of relentlessly good. And it's like, no, it'll, it'll ebb and flow. I mean, it's yeah. still fantastic experience and process and, and et cetera, but there'll be some really grim times in there. And, yeah. and, 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 and there's not always that much we can do about it. I mean, sometimes it does, it's like biorhythms. It's just something so random to why we get, why I've been kiboshed I feel (laughs) from time to time by you know uh, my my mental health 
Listen, I, I think it's about realism, isn't it? It's about life and it's about, you know, we can be in our functional adult self when we put down our, our, our drink and our drugs and our addictions and, you know, we can start to process and metabolize our trauma. But that doesn't mean that there isn't an adapted and a wounded part there occasionally that yeah. can rear its head. You know, <laughs> we're not completely... Uh, I haven't reached complete enlightenment yet where right. there's like one fully integrated whole with no limiting beliefs left whatsoever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God, if only, eh? I don't know. I don't know if only actually, because I don't know what, what would I like those say. parts of me. <laughs> I've grown to love those parts. I don't yeah. ever want to see them gone. They serve yeah. me sometimes still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Groucho Marx said, blessed are the cracked, for they let in the light. Oh, um, yeah. I'm living by that. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? It's lovely. So what next for you, Robin? Where are you taking the clinics and, and what, what are your plans for the future? And where, well, where that, are you heading now? I mean, my interest will be around that social stuff, to be honest. That's my, yeah. that's my big interest in the next sort of 10 years, I guess. I, I, I think the clinics will kind of say... Um, you know, in a in similar vein, it's not like I'm thinking there won't be a need for, for, for rehab, but I do think, I think that's the, that's one of the frontiers and the other frontier that I think is super interesting is how you get that initial germ going, you know, of an idea of, 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 of an inspiration to maybe try something different. Yeah. See, I think, I think, as I said before, by the time somebody comes to a clinic, they're already long on a path, but how do we get to that earlier point? How do we get you know, help people take that very first step. Be be curious. So that that would be that would be what would be interesting for me. Maybe what it's about you about guys? more about destigmatizing what's left or around mental health or around trauma or educating people more around the nervous system and getting it into schools and younger and family systems. You know, so it's not so. Hmm. So people understand why they're doing what they're doing. I don't think there's enough trauma-informed awareness out there. Yeah. I think we've done quite well with the mental health stuff. But mm. for me, all the mental health stuff sits under the trauma banner because it's all about the nervous system, isn't it, really? And how we stay with ourselves or we disconnect from ourselves. Mm. Yeah. So, so I'd love to see more education of like the masses around that, really. Yeah. And I think if we can give them, I think if we can give them an experience somehow, like micro experiences. Um, yeah. That, that would be, you know, because I think, I think, <laughs> I was thinking that sort of Ali G doing the sort of uh, education to the, to the, to the, to the to the uh, police officer, and he goes, "Yeah, well, which which is the good stuff? Which is the good stuff?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I want them, you know, I want somehow for people to have some kind of an experience and to and to like really feel it. And yeah. I think if they really feel something changing, mm. then they'll then they'll keep going with it. And that's yeah. that's how do we give them that first thing? What about you guys? I mean, I'm amazed. I mean, you're doing what I'm what I'm talking about, what I'm dreaming of in the community. You guys are really doing it. So, oh. so well done you. Where do you where do you see your your uh, work evolving? Mel, do you want to go first? Well, I I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, Lou. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> say whatever you like. There's no there's no control here. We're all trauma. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Lou and I have got some really exciting stuff in the pipeline, Robin. And, and one of the things which Lou was just talking about was this education piece, which is getting mm -hmm. more people trauma informed so that mm -hmm. and, and especially people that are already working with dysregulated, vulnerable, traumatized people, um, mm -hmm. people that are already therapists, coaches, um, healers in, in some respect, um, mm -hmm. and, and just helping them to help their clients feel safe um, mm -hmm. and, and not feel like with the way that they experience life is abnormal. 
because mm -hmm. I think that is just so important to to normalize people's experiences to help yeah. people to feel safe um and to yeah to to really just inform people what trauma actually is because I think mm -hmm. there's still people just still don't understand mm -hmm. still don't un people still don't understand it and they still don't know how to I think deal with it is not quite the right word but how yeah. to contain it yeah and schools sorry just to finish with is that schools you're thinking of or is it uh broader yeah, society I mean there's coaches and and all the rest of it but you know I'm thinking about social workers I'm thinking about mm. nursery nurses I'm thinking about a, a, a client told me today about an experience with a police officer you know there are lots of different people I think that work with people that need to understand about safety yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Absolutely. that word we keep coming back to safety and connection, safety and connection. So, if us guys with our experience of trauma and addiction can just help more people work with people so that they do feel safe and connected, hmm. I, I just think that would be amazing. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. that's what I do. And I think they would be, I think they would be so so willing i mean you know all of the sort of frontline workers you know they they want they want you know, they've, they've gone to that work generally because they want to help yeah, so you know exactly. they're, 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 they'd love they're to have not quite sure how i think it they yeah. get to a certain point where all the training that you've done isn't sufficient anymore mm. um, and then of course as as lou and i do just helping people to thrive it's um yeah. You know yeah. that's that's always been Lou's vision and um, yeah. mission, and I've sort of tagged along on the coattails for the journey. And um, yeah, we'll be bringing people some some really exciting programs to to move because there, there's this second part of the trauma healing journey. Um, so yeah. once the, once that you put the addiction and the processes down, and you can move through that that initial part where you're you're more stabilized it's it's about then living your best life and, and coming mm -hmm. into yourself and that relationship that you build with yourself and and putting yourself out there in the world and um and I think that's what Lou and I are also just so passionate mm -hmm. about is really helping people to to get to that next that next phase um yeah. where they are just thriving with themselves yeah. they're thriving yeah you were Not talking every months ago about like another part to your program and developing it is that has that happened yeah fantastic yeah Great. so it so that the the whole program in its entirety is called the voyage oh, right okay yeah nice. yeah so it's it's all a it's all a nautical sea journey <laughs> you do everything by a metaphor yeah and literally the first yeah. eight waves of it really are the kind of stabilization and psycho ed and learning yeah. about the nervous system and coming into the body and starting to be able to swim and get used to the emotions and then sensations in the body so yeah. and we'll I'm going to be teaching that in fact we are teaching that to an Amer American recovery coach company um in this year for four months we've we're teaching their right. staff 16 half days of how to do the voyage process and then the last part of the voyage Mel and I are going to be teaching two coaches therapists body workers social workers healers yeah. that want to do the thriving end of trauma yeah. so it's the stuff that I found really hard Robin I don't know about you but I I, I mean I really struggled with this which is you wouldn't believe it now she says talking finding my voice being able to even speak yeah. god yeah. I I was terrified for years um finding our value and being able to ask for money or what we're worth that that's a really tricky one in trauma recovery being mm. able to validate ourselves and let go of the codependency a bit um <laughs> being visible, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> always a work in progress the code and stuff 
being visible and putting ourselves out there and then helping people what's their vision what do they want to do what what do they see um so that's what that's what we're excited about and the whole thing together is 14 stages and one day it will be an online trauma treatment program one day because right. I would love to do something I've always said to you I want to do something that's affordable yeah you no know, yeah. that they could do in tandem with a treatment center or in tandem with therapy yeah. so mm-hmm. you know for, for an affordable rate Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's come out of the pandemic, isn't it? That we have learned to do this, to yeah. connect, albeit, you know, virtually. But it's, I still think there's a lot of promise in it. And I, yeah, I, I think it'd be great if you could do that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll keep you posted because... Definitely, I'll sign up, yeah. please. Put me, yeah. Reserve me a spot, please. <laughs> You're already at stage 14. No, well, no, no, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you talked about the first stages being, you know, kind of working in the body. I mean, that's the bit that I'm, yeah. I'm working on at the moment. And I'm finding, I find it really, really hard. I mean... Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm sort of, you know, plowing into it even more and kind of going on to more courses and doing more sessions, because it's one of those weird things that that, that work that it seems to other work. I could see a more direct response. This seems to come out sort of like Cosmo pointing out that I was standing taller yeah. or yeah. Um, an awareness that I'm looking around in a different way or something there the, the body work is so fascinating but I'm still really struggling with it I really kind of like my poor therapist must have like the sort of patience of a saint you know where are you feeling like, I don't know I really don't know I'm not really, I'm not anywhere. I don't know <laughs> I bet they have a joyous time with you <laughs> I don't I don't think it would um it would feel right for for us to end without you giving your treatment center a little bit of a plug Robin either so, <laughs> yeah, um, no, for, anybody, for anybody that that's watching and and mm-hmm. is, is thinking about inpatient treatment or has clients that perhaps need inpatient treatment I I will I you know I would personally advocate yours so so tell us oh, how Thank you. Tell tell our, our audience how they can find you. So I guess um, I mean the website is www.promise.co.uk. It's confusing because it's promise without an e, so it's just p r o m i s .co.uk. And my email's robin at promise.co.uk. So please, anyone, feel free to ping me an email there. Um, and yeah, please feel free to come and take a look. Um, you know, I think I think what I would say in summary about it is actually in fairness to my dad he he made the comment that what he wanted was a place that was like a university he wanted somewhere that people could come and they would be you know treated as adults and treated as in, in intelligent beings which we are yeah. you know um and so you know we have you know people have wi-fi they have their tablets they have you know i remember i was doing a group once where these trainees were there and they said well you know how do you stop people going to the pub and I said like I was taking this group so I said okay look does everybody here know that the uh, Royal Oak is like two miles that way and does everybody know you could go for a drink and come back and I'll keep working with you yes so why hasn't everybody gone there's this you know again you know people people are already they already do want to change things if they can just feel safe and respected and so that's what that's what I think we have, as well as thankfully beautiful Kent countryside. So, so please take a look and thank you so much for. Um, like I'm normally like if you look at my last few LinkedIn articles, I'm so kind of like normally kind of critical of <laughs> of my sector. It was very strange to be uh, actually putting forward a positive. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, maybe we're better, aren't we? Sometimes at bigging up other people yeah uh, than we are ourselves and uh, you know you're very authentic Robin always you've got such humility and you know if I were listening to this and I wanted to send a family member or go somewhere myself after what you said today I would pick you every time absolutely thank thank you well, thank you, both of you, also for your constant sort of warmth and encouragement. Every time I see you, any sort of like with conferences that we bump into each other, you're always so warm and encouraging. So equally, you know, I would, I would 
recommend any of my family to to be seeing oh, you oh, there's, oh, there's plenty oh, of us yeah thank you guys i hope that whoever's watching whether you're watching it now or you're watching it later you've enjoyed it and it's been useful robin is in the trauma thrivers facebook group very thankfully so if you've got any questions to ask i'm sure he won't mind answering them and if you're listening to this on a podcast later come and join us in the trauma thrivers facebook group and then you can watch us live which would be amazing But for now, we're going to love you and leave you. Have a great Thursday evening and we'll be back very soon. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.